Hey, good morning, Berean Community Church. Pastor Nathan here, coming to you live from the Ruby Lane Studios here in lovely Rochester, Minnesota. Hope you're doing well this morning. If you're like us, uh, snow is piled up, it's dissipated, but it's still coming down. So I'm just waiting for the snow plow to come by and, you know, move the pile at the end of my driveway from eight inches to one foot to two feet. So, uh, but that's, that's good. And so this is kind of an experiment as far as getting word, God's word out. And I'm kind of excited. It's weird, uh, because I'm looking at the back of an iPad. Uh, and I can't see you. It'd be much better if I could see you live. But, um, anyway, I, I believe that today's message is just as important. And I've got the loveliest production assistant, Carrie Brand, here working with me. So she's helping me out here. And uh, the beauty of working at your home is you can still be in your bathrobe. So we're not going to turn the camera around for you to find that out. But just trust me on that one. So uh, today we're still in Luke. And uh, you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. So um, one of the downsides about this is that I don't have a PowerPoint to show you in the background. I guess we could have put it on the screen back here. But I'm going to I'm gonna just repeat the, the points if you want to take notes along the way. But this is one of those passages where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But I really think he's speaking to his disciples now. Because there's a reality that he talks about that really applies to us. But before we get this morning's passage going, again, we're in Luke chapter 17, we'll be at verses 21 through 37. <clears throat> we're going to do a little Bible memory here, okay? And uh, if we got a want of kids listening, listen up, because this is a real easy verse to memorize. Three words, okay? Three words, and we're all going to memorize this together. So this is uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Okay, you ready? Here it goes. Remember Lot's wife. Got it? Remember Lot's wife. Three words. And you're going, what does that have to do with this? Well, you'll find out. But remember Lot's wife. Can you say that? Remember Lot's wife. Got it? Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. He's bringing that to the hearts of men and women. And Jesus, right now, the king, has returned to his heavenly kingdom. But the kingdom of God on earth remains. And so, when Jesus the king returns to this earth, he's going to set everything right. But the pregnant question there is this. When will this be? And that's what Jesus' original hearers wanted to know. And isn't that what we want to know? When's Jesus going to come back and make everything right? And here's the real question that Jesus is trying to answer for us today, or at least prompt us to think about. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the king to return? And what does that mean? So Jesus, I believe, is really speaking to us. So we're going to take this passage apart bit by bit and see what Jesus has for us. So we'll start at verse 21 and just, excuse me, 20 and work through uh, 20 and 21. So it says this. Once I'm being asked by the Pharisees, remember Jesus and the Pharisees, there's some tension there. 
They said, when would the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, oh, here it is. Or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So this is the first point. The kingdom of God is not a visible political kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a visible political kingdom like the United States of America, Russia, People's Republic of China, etc. The United Kingdom. But that was the expectation. Oh, I'm kind of turning sideways. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. So, but the expectation of the Pharisees from the scripture is that it would be that God or the Messiah would come and would kick out the Romans, right, presently in the first century, and kick out the nations and bring judgment to them and then place Israel on the top of the food chain, if you will, of, of ruling in the world. And, of course, the Pharisees saw themselves as the gold standard of faith and they said, well, of course, we're, we're going to be in charge. But, and that would be a dramatic switch of events, wouldn't it? But Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. You're missing it. The kingdom of God is here right now, guys. And it's in your midst. The kingdom of God starts with its king, Jesus, coming. And they're blind to it. They're blind to him. Because he's the one who's come to restore men's hearts to God. The hearts of men and women. And so the kingdom of God has come in its king coming but now, right now, it continues in the hearts of those who are captured by its king, by those of us who put our faith in Jesus. And it exists in this world. It exists now. And it weaves its way through every nation, every kingdom, every tribe, but it's not part of it. Because the kingdom of God starts in the heart. I was at the rack earlier this, this fall, and a man who had been to Berean who's still a seeker, trying to figure out how this all works together, he came up to me, and he was very adamant. And he was very sincere also. He says, you know, why, why didn't Jesus, when he was on earth, why didn't he get rid of slavery? If he wanted to do something really good, why didn't he get rid of slavery? And I asked him the question, well, what, what if he did get rid of slavery? Would that still change the hearts of men and women? You see, right now, today, our, you know, our political temperature says, you know, human slavery is a terrible thing, and it is. It really is. But the question is, even though that's eliminated in the United States, does that make our hearts any more tender towards God? Does that make us any more repentant? Does it make us any more uh, saying, I'm going to surrender to you, God? No. Because our highest freedom is to have anything, any kind of uh, anything telling us what to do and be have the willingness or the ability to do whatever we wish, whatever we want, because we want to be God. See, Jesus comes to change hearts and then he can bring about good things like changing the system. Indeed, Jesus sets people free. We saw that last week as Jesus set these men free from leprosy. But ultimately, he comes to set people's hearts free to follow God. The kingdom of God is not a visible kingdom. It's in the hearts of men. And here's the question I have. 
for those of us who follow Jesus, is the kingdom of God on display in you and me? Can people see that we're his subjects? That that's a priority toward us? That's a great question for us to wrestle with in our own hearts. So, and then he goes on in verse 22. And then this is a new audience. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. And then skip down to verse 25. But first, talking about himself, Jesus says, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So point number two. There's a period in the kingdom of God when its king is not visible here on earth. And that's right now. That is right now. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's his favorite title. It's out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. This man who's a, more than a man. He seems to have divine attributes. But Jesus is God who came as a man, put on flesh, to restore men and women to God. And he will do so by the means of suffering many things and being rejected by this generation, as he says in verse 25. That means he's going to the cross. He's going to die. He's also going to rise from the dead. And he's also going to ascend or return to heaven. And, as the second half of verse 22 says, we will no longer see it, or we will no longer see him. The kingdom of God is a reality, but its king is not visible. This is what the Apostle Peter would say in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have seen him, though you have not, excuse me, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. And that's true, right? But we still long to see him. We still long to see his return, don't we? We long to see him bring his kingdom right here, right now. The Apostle Paul will talk about this even in his second letter to Timothy. He talks about those who love or long for the day of his appearing. Don't you look around this earth sometimes and go, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Whether it's the coronavirus thing that's going on in China, or it's personal loss, we look around and inherently know things are not right. And we want God to bring them back to that divine homostasis. We see this world's brokenness and we want him to come and fix it. But that's not the reality right now. Because there are people that need to be reconciled to him. There's a mission that we're on. But you know what? The thing is, there are those who kind of inherently understand that longing and they kind of use it as a sucker punch to try and deceive God's elect, to try and deceive God's people. And this is where, this is where Jesus says, the king's return will be universally seen. And here we're at verse 23 and 24. Again, we, people will say, there it is, or here he is. And then he says, do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day, for the, for the Son of Man in his day will not be like, for the, okay, I'm having a problem reading here. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes 
and lights up from up the sky from one end to the other. What Jesus is saying is, you know what, anyone who tells you says, hey, Jesus is down at Apache Mall, or, you know, Jesus is up in the cities, or he's in San Francisco, or he's in Istanbul. If they say they know the time and the place that he's coming, then run. Run from that. Don't be duped by those who say they know the time and the place of Jesus' return. Many a cult under the guise of knowing Christ's return got their start. Say, oh yeah, we know, I've calculated, I've, I've done the math and the scriptures, and I've added up the verses, and, and Jesus is going to return on X date at this place. That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses got their start. And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but they were deceived, and they're still deceived. And even during my time here at Berean, there was a man out of my own hometown, a man who had uh, power with a radio station, saying, I've calculated that Jesus is going to come. He raised over $100 million and said that Jesus would return, I believe, in sometime in November in, in 2011. And it didn't happen. Because he didn't know. He really didn't. In his own pride and arrogance. And he, people sold their houses and all. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you know, it's too bad, but I'm not giving the money back. So don't be duped by those who say they know the time and the place. Jesus says it's going to be like looking up in the sky and seeing the lightning. It's going to flash across the sky from one end to the other. You know, before I came here uh, to Rochester, I lived in Nebraska. And one of the, the cool things about Nebraska, it's a little more flat. And when a lightning storm comes in, you can see it. I mean, it just flashes from one end of the sky to the other. And nobody's mistaking where it's coming from. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. The whole sky is going to be lit up and you can't miss it. No one's going to say, he's over here. No, everyone will know when Jesus actually returns. So, Jesus, the king's return, will be universally seen. Which leads to the next part. That the king's return will be sudden and unexpected. Pick it up at verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be day in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage, up to the day when Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day of Lot left Sodom, excuse me, but the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So, Jesus points out to two Old Testament um, judgment things ha that happened. The days of Noah. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. What were the people doing while Noah and the crew were getting in the ark? They were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. It was business as usual. They gave no thought to how does my life impact my relationship to a holy God, my creator. In fact, this is the commentary in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 about the hearts of men. 
The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. What a sad commentary. And the Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Wow. Wow. Sad words again. But sometimes I look around this world and I go, are we much different? Don't we have a society that's kind of moving along just life as usual with no care with how this impacts standing before a holy God at the end of time? Similar in the days of Lot, that's found in Genesis 19. The wickedness was so great, in fact, in chapter 18, as, as God comes down and appears to Abraham as three angels. And uh, he says, you know, the wickedness has come out, and I'm going down to check it out myself. And so Abraham's lot, Abraham's nephew Lot, has moved down that direction. He's become a part of the city, and so God is on a mission to rescue. In fact, Abraham goes through a famous bargaining uh, passage where God, he says, look, if there are 50 righteous people there, will you not, will you relent from holding, destroying the city? And, and, and God says, sure. And, you know, Abraham bargains it all the way down to, to 10. And there weren't 10 righteous people there. But God's on a rescue mission. So, by the time the, it come, becomes two angels that come down to get Lot and his family. And they come in as these two men into the city. And the men of the city want to gang rape these men. Lot has invited them into his house as his guests. And they, the men of the city pound on the door and says, let, let, you know, bring them out so that we might know them. And that's not in a good way. And, uh, you know, so this is, this, is the, this is the moral temperature of this city. And again, it says, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Business as usual. Impervious to the moral decay in their own hearts. Impervious to their offense towards a holy God. You know why? Because it was a fertile crescent area. Because the crops were plentiful. The market was profitable. Life was good. We're doing our own thing. What does God have to do with this? I wonder if we're any different. The point is, is that God is going to bring judgment to this world. And it's going to come at a time, I think, when it's not necessarily going to be a crisis. The stock market might be up. The GDP might be great. You know, we might be living in a higher standard of living than ever. Unemployment might be down. And here's the question. We who are believers in Jesus Christ, are we getting caught up in this? Are we like Lot, where we're so inoculated by the prosperity of our society that we've bought into this? You know, we can say, yeah, I know. We're swamped by sexual immorality. But at least the stock market is up, right? Or I know we're overrun by materialism and greed. But at least I have good health coverage. Or something like, I know we're becoming a less civil society. I know we treat people terribly, despairingly, who disagree with us. 
We treat them with contempt. But you know, at least my party is in charge, or will be in charge, depending on where you're coming from. Are we as believers becoming numb to the broken society around us? Because we've gotten caught up in life as usual. It's prosperity. And what's interesting is when these angels come to, to grab Lot, they are dragging their feet. I mean, they have to literally grab Lot, his family, by their hands, his wife, his two daughters, and drag them out of the city. And they won't even go to the mountains where they tell them to go, let me go to this, this city right next door because that's too far. They are dragging their feet, kicking and screaming. And I want to say this, folks. You know, I'm not at us shaking our fist at the world saying, oh, things are so terrible. And, and there's a lot of garbage, but there's a lot of good things. But here's my point. We are the salt and light of this world. We're the ones who should have a redemptive impact on it, turning people towards the Lord, saying, you know what? This is not going to last forever. And God's going to deal with this. We can't buy in. We can't buy in to this world's bankrupt values. We need to be the people who are salt and light, have a, a redemptive impact on this. And Jesus, along in, in this, is warning us this is point number five, to take care that we don't value the wrong kingdom. To take care that we don't value the wrong kingdom. Pick it up at verse 31. On that day, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Ta-da! Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. You know, think about it. These words are almost laughable. Because when Jesus returns, he's ushering in a new kingdom. He's ushering in a new reality. The things of this earth, they won't have value anymore. When he comes back, when Jesus comes back, I'm not returning to my house to get my family's photo albums. Those are precious memories. But God is ushering in a whole new kingdom. I'm not going up to my office to grab my Coke bottle collection. If you've ever been in my office, I bring a Coke bottle from every country I've ever been with, um, you know, full of Coke. A poor man's way to have, um, you know, some souvenirs. I've got some really nice guitars in my office. I'm not going back to get them because they will not do me any good in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. I need to value His kingdom, and that even starts today. That doesn't start when I sense it's getting near, and sometimes I do sense it's getting near. It starts now. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. You see, she got physically dragged out of Sodom. And the fire and brimstone we're falling. I guess I'm a fire and brimstone preacher right now, huh? Anyway. But here's the point. The fire and brimstone are falling physically. She's been removed from it. But her heart was back in Sodom. And if you read what happens there in Genesis chapter 19, verse 17, the angel says, don't look back. And a few verses later, she does. And she looks back longingly. Like, oh, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss that lifestyle. 
I'm going to miss that prosperity. Whatever she thought was going on, a town that gang rapes people who are coming in there. That's a great society. But she's saying, I miss that. Her heart was attached to it. She looked at it longingly. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. God says, is that what you want? Okay. Then I'll turn you into the chemical substance that the rest of that city has been turned into. Because you long for that sinful lifestyle. Again, remember the kingdom of God. It starts in our hearts with what we value. And when we try and hold on to the stuff of earth at the expense of the kingdom of God, it's folly. It is valuing the wrong kingdom. Jesus says this plainly. Verse, <clears throat> verse 33. Whoever tries to keep this life, tries to keep their life, will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. In studying for this passage, the, the commentator, James Edwards, uh, I was reading his commentary, he says this, the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, not only do you escape wrath, but you receive eternal life from the hand of the Son of Man. And no longer should we yearn for the life this world offers. And I ask the question, do I, do you yearn for the kingdom of God? Do we yearn for that life? The life where we care about the things that the kingdom of God values. It's eternity. And how is that being reflected in our life habits, our heart habits? Are the things of this earth grabbing our hearts, grabbing our attention? Do we say, yeah, I, I, I long for the day when Jesus returns, but boy, I hope, sure, hope there's going to be NFL football. Or I sure hope they're going to have good shopping there. Or whatever you're holding on to, whatever you value. Is Jesus, is God enough? And you can hear my dog, Teddy, barking in the background here. I love what A.W. Tozer says. And this is a challenging quote. But he said this, What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must, as they know they must do at the last day. For each of us, a time is coming when we shall have nothing but God. Health and wealth and friends and hiding places will be swept away. And we shall have only God. Now listen to this. To a man of pseudo-faith, that is a terrifying thought. To a man of pseudo-faith, that is a terrifying thought. But to real faith, it is one of the most comforting thoughts the heart can entertain. Am I willing to trust God, trust Jesus, right now, as much as I know I will have to when He comes? Is that my heart's cry? Is that what I desire? You see, when Jesus comes, I won't be able to rely on anything I have, anything I own. My truck, my computer, my iPad, my phone, my spouse, my children, my house, a retirement plan, 
my insurance, anything else. All I will have is Jesus. All you will have is Jesus. How does your heart respond to that reality? Ask yourself honestly, how does my heart respond to that reality? Do I want Jesus? Do I want his kingdom above all else? And how are you valuing that kingdom right now? Right now. Maybe that's an area where we say, Lord, that's an area I need to grow in. And that doesn't mean we care less about the things around us. Sometimes we care more about his kingdom. And number six, the king's return will eternally divide. Verse 34, I tell you that on the night, <clears throat> on that night, two people will be in bed and one will be taken and the other left. <laughs> Whether that's the rapture, that's heading into the millennium or, or eternity or however your eschatology works out. Jesus is going to distinguish between those who are his and those who are not. Even within families, there's, there's no package plan. God has no grandchildren. There's no package deals. And even between friends, or even in the workplace, verse 35, two women will be grinding grain together, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. The division will be swift, it will be final, and it will be irreversible at the coming of the king. There aren't going to be any do-overs. There's no one more time around. It will be done. The musical chairs will have stopped. You know, Berean, we believe in proclaiming Christ, right? One of our three Ps, proclaiming Christ. I think the worst thing that I could hear from a friend, a neighbor, I never knew. Why didn't you tell me? Because it's going to be swift. It's going to be irreversible. It's going to be final. We're his ambassadors. Are we telling the world around us about the coming king? <clears throat> and if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ yet, I just want to say the kingdom of God is here. It's around you. It's here. Maybe he doesn't have a physical manifestation I mean, you know, we've got a building, but that's not the kingdom of God. That's just a tool. The kingdom of God is here. What are you going to do with that kingdom? What are you going to do with its king? Because your choices are going to be eternal. And they're going to be final. And let me tell you this. Jesus has not come to take over your life and make your life miserable. He's come to give you life and come to give it to the full. He's come to make you more yourself than less yourself. And I don't know what's holding you back from responding to this king. But it's not because he wants to make your life miserable. He wants to give you life. He wants you to have life now and life in eternity. And the question is, what are you going to do with that? Don't wait. Don't miss it. And the last comment here in verse 37 is, the king's return will have its clues. This is probably the most vague 
thing, but it, it's, it's true nonetheless. Verse 37. Where, Lord? This is Jesus' disciples, they asked. Where? And Jesus, he replied, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. Look, if you're looking for Jesus' return, you won't be caught off guard. It'll be like looking out over a field and seeing buzzards or vultures circling around a dead carcass. Somehow you're going to know that it's, it's on its way. You won't know the exact time. You won't know the exact minute. You won't know, you know exactly how it's going to be. But you know that it's coming. We won't be caught off guard. And every generation has wondered, is he coming today? I mean, I think we've seen lots of bodies in the field with buzzard circling. But if you're looking for the kingdom of God to come, you won't be caught off guard. You won't be surprised. So be careful. Don't get caught up in business as usual. The kingdom of God is here. The king is returning. The message to us is, are you ready? Let me pray for us. So Lord Jesus, uh, this is a challenging passage. And come what may, whether you're going to come today, next week, 200 years, 2,000 years from now, let us find, I pray that you would come and find us, your people, valuing you, valuing your kingdom. Because it will be sudden and swift. And none of us can predict the day or the time. But we want to be ready. So we're grateful for this time to look at your word. And I pray, Lord, that it would reach deep into our hearts. Again, my prayer is that we would value you, value your kingdom above all else. Thanks for those who have joined me today and those who will hear later, Lord. I pray that your word would reach out and do its work, that it would not return void as you have promised. Now, Lord, we have the whole day before us, a beautiful blanket of snow to enjoy your beauty. This is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be your people uh, in our neighborhood, to our people, to our neighbors. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.